Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Derek Cornette here, live and in living color on my end, coming to you streaming on your mobile listening devices. Hopefully you're tuning us in on Podbean or checking us out on iTunes. Uh, be sure to get out there and share the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Be sure to let your friends know about it. If you're a wrestling fan, let your friends know about it. Tell them about what we're doing here. Um, it's been a great ride so far. Here we are, episode 6. Um, had a little change in programming as is with most things in life. Times change, things change, and things happen. Uh, here we're calling an audible. Uh, originally scheduled for this evening, Dave Hall and myself were going to be starting an, a three-episode arc starting with the 1988 Royal Rumble, and then myself and Jeffrey Jelka are going to be doing the WrestleMania 4 based on those results, and I just finalized Derek LaRue coming in, and we're going to be doing the SummerSlam 1988 to finish off the trifecta. However, uh, due to some other concerns right now, we're actually going to come at you with a very, very special episode. So first, let me welcome my very special guest, close personal friend Dave. How's it going on the other side of the world? Mate, it's doing really well down here. It's great to be back with you, and um, it's a lovely near, like, sort of lovely spring day down here in Australia. That's awesome. You know, the funny part is, is that it's nine forty p.m. where I'm at, and it's fall. And right now, what time is it for you? It's uh, one thirty in the afternoon, and it is springtime for you. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Low Blow Booking Podcast has gone worldwide. Um, it's a great opportunity for for you guys out there to listen to some of the fun stuff that we're coming up with. And tonight, we have a very, very special episode. Last last night, Dave Hall and myself, we were discussing some of the programming concerns of what was going on here with some of the time issues that we had. And instead of coming at you with that trifecta and starting it off, we're actually going to take a break and we're going to do some fantasy uh, booking, some real big fantasy warfare uh, here in um, you know the Low Blow Booking Podcast. So let me begin by saying, in a world... 1989 was probably one of the greatest years for professional wrestling. Dave, would you agree with that? Uh, it, it, it is it definitely one of the best. I mean, both the WWF and the NWA at that time were probably, that had real peak years. The WWF had a great year. NWA, we had the whole steamboat into the funk, into the you know great mooder around. I mean, that was just a, a, an amazing year for them. So real peak year for both organizations. Absolutely. So what Dave and myself decided is both of us really liked the Survivor Series. And so we thought about what would it be like if we actually put both of these companies together face-to-face in a special one-night summit. Jim Crockett Promotions and the World Wrestling Federation, led by Vince McMahon, come to an agreement. There's going to be five matches on the card. The first one is going to be a battle royal. The second one is going to be a traditional five-on-five Survivor Series match. The third a five-on-five tag team Survivor Series match. The fourth, again, a traditional five-on-five Survivor Series match. And then, Dave, the fifth and final match, the main event, the NWA called it, and they made sure it happened. It's going to be War Games. Oh, look, it's just such an exciting thing. I always wanted to see War Games in WWF, and I still I'd love to see it today. And You can just picture the Survivor Series being the perfect location for a War Games match in the WWF, and I just think it'd be a fantastic thing, and putting the best of the WWF against the best of the NWA at that time, it's just, it's mouth-watering. I mean, I remember, I mean, I was big into PWI, I used to, to do all that, and I remember you'd read the, the fantasy booking ideas, what if WWF met NWA, and I used to do my own little fantasy cards as a, as a young guy, and you know, this would have just been fantastic. And, and here at the Low Blow Booking Podcast, Dave and myself have put together this card. So, let's set the stage. First off, I, Derek Cornette, will be running the NWA Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dave will be running the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation. Um, and we're going to meet in a neutral location on Sunday night, December 31st, 1989. It's going to be called The Summit, the tagline, the battle of the decades. And it's going to be WWF versus NWA. 
The special guest, uh, you know, master of ceremonies is going to be none other than a man who has made history in both of these promotions, and that is, of course, the legendary Harley Race. Now, as we set the stage, um, Dave and myself looked at the rosters that were used in December of 1989, and those were the only ones that we could choose from for the matches that we had. Um, we both had some different ideas. We went through some drafts, and it came down to this final card. And Dave, I'm excited for what we came up with. I'm excited to see what the fans of the Low Blow Booking Podcast think about it. And uh, you know, I'm I'm really just I love some of the ideas that we came up with here, and and a lot of them are just great fantasy matches that everybody would like to see. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I mean. Everyone's always going to have their own ideas, and I think anyone who's ever been a fan of wrestling could come up probably with a multitude of different concepts around this very event. But I'm really excited with the card that we've we've created. I think it's it, it has all the elements that you want from a night, and I think it would it would be really exciting to have seen something like this. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, it is time to dive right in. The first match, a special. 20-man battle royal. Now, Dave, with this card, like we talked about, with the War Games, we're looking at possibly two rings for the main event. Um, Logistically-wise, we're not really going to get into it too much. Um, But to start off our pay-per-view, we're going to the booth, and who better than Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura to be calling the action here tonight? Oh, that that would be you know they're just they're just the epitome of that era. I mean, Jim Ross had become the the top play by play guy in NWA, but I, I don't think you could have any card that involves anything like this without Jesse the Body on commentary. He's just he's just the absolute best in the business. And in 1989, there was no one better. And one of the things maybe I'm thinking about as we do this in the back, obviously we have our Mean Gene Okerlund and Gordon Soley. Um, you know, being able to do some backstage interviews. Maybe Tony Schiavone's around somewhere because he's got ties at this point with the NWA, even though he's a WWF employee. But I view Jim Cornette and Gorilla Monsoon just, and Bobby Heenan back there, just going to town on Gorilla. I, I think that that would be great to see all those personalities mixing at this point. <laughs> oh, I could just picture Bobby and Jim Cornette just bouncing different one-liners off each other in a, in a, in a conversation. It would be hilarious. You know, and then you, you like have somebody like Lord Alfred Hayes pop up out of nowhere. Um, you know, Paulie Dangerously is going to be back there somewhere. It's just going to be this plethora of just amazing talents and uh, really entertaining characters. Um, <laughs> and that's what that's what this show's all about here. Um, so let's dive right in. Um I even said that we weren't going to talk about it too much, but I liked our discussion on it. So our referees tonight, we're going to have uh, Joey Morella and Dave Hebner from the WWF. We're going to have Tommy Young and um, Nick Patrick from the NWA. Yeah, and, and we, we talked about it. I mean, we were discussing before we came on here the fact that this is around the time to- Tommy Young got hurt. But, you know, in a, in, a, in a world of fantasy, it'd be really good. He'd been the, the epitome of the NWA for so many years. It'd, it'd just be perfect for him to be involved in this event. Absolutely. And, and it gives him that respect that I think that he deserves because when I go back and I watch matches, I, I think about what can make a great referee. And, and when it comes down to it, Tommy Young is, is the best I've ever seen. Um, so let's get us going here with this first battle royal. I'm going to introduce the NWA guys that we have, and then Dave, I'll let you go through the WWF guys. So representing the National Wrestling Alliance, the oldest governing body in professional wrestling, we have Eddie Gilbert, Ole Anderson, Buzz Sawyer, Cactus Jack, the Samoan Savage, Tommy Rich, Shane Douglas, Johnny Ace, Bill Irwin, and of course, how could we forget Norman the Lunatic? It's uh, it's not it's not quite the the, the, the greatest array of talent, but certainly there are, there's some there's some good talent in, in in there for the NWA. I think when we were putting this together, we found it very difficult. We we sort of noted the lack of depth that came out with the NWA at this point. Yeah, let's just say that I'm saving my big cards, uh, my big guys, my trunk cards for later on in the evening. Uh, so, um, and I do like, I, I like this group. I think that if we're going to, if we're going to take this fight into the back alley, I think that with, um, 
Buzz Sawyer and Cactus Jack and Ole Anderson and the Samoan Savage, I think I'm going to have a chance to win. But let's hear about who the WWF is going to be bringing to the dance here. So the WWF, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment in 1989, uh, bringing to the Battle Royal uh, the Canadian Earthquake, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Tito Santana, Dino Bravo, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Rugged Ronnie Garvin, the Honky Tonk Man, Luke and Butch from the Bushwhackers, and rounding it out with Bad News Brown. Oh, what a plethora of talent. Um, so looking at this, uh, obviously we've got some comedy, we've got some tough guys, we've got some crazy guys, um, and, and Dave, you and I were talking about how this match unfolds, um, and we both agreed that without a shadow of a doubt, uh, the WWF is probably going to be taking this one. It's probably going to be um, coming down to some of the big names here. Um, I like Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas teaming up. Um, I actually could see a lot of comedy between the Bushwhackers and Norman the Lunatic. Um, all three of those guys going out early. Buzz Sawyer had a little bit of goofiness to him, but I like him and somebody like Ronnie Garvin just beating the piss out of one another. Um, oh, can you can you just picture the hammer and Ole Anderson just laying chops on each other in the corner? Absolutely. Uh, you got a guy like Tito Santana who's going to be a workhorse. He's going to stay in for a while. Um, Eddie Gilbert's going to make a little bit of a run. Um, the Samoan Savage is going to do a little bit. Uh, and then, of course, I think the MVP on my side, I'm going to be pushing Ole Anderson, and, and really I'm going to be pushing Cactus Jack um, up until that final moments um, before, of course, he falls to the almighty earthquake. Yeah, I think I think in this situation, you're looking at you know the probably the two guys are going to end up lasting the longest for the WWF are going to be the earthquake and and sadly, um, as much as I can't stand the guy Hacksaw Jim Duggan was still quite quite prominent and winning every it seemed to win everything at this you know around this stage of the game. But I could just I just think the way the earthquake had been debuted in in late '89, the the direction they were going to be taking him, his his absolute size it would make it very difficult for him to not be put over as the winner of an event like this. Absolutely. And and even a guy like the Honky Tonk Man or Bad News Brown, I think that they're going to make a little bit of a run. Um, a guy like Tommy Rich is somebody that still has a namesake, especially in St. Louis. So um, we could have him put over, you know, or put one of those guys out and put him over a little bit. Um, but in the end, the Almighty Earthquake is the winner. And, of course, by his side is none other than the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. We have megaphone in hand, jumping up and down after the match, probably touting about how great the earthquake is, how no one can... You know, and I think at this point, it would almost be that no one can take him off his feet. I think you could picture on several occasions, NWA guys trying to... You know, three or four of them in there, you know, Ace and Douglas and you know, Ole Anderson, Eddie Gilbert, all trying to get in an under-earthquake and lift him over and just... Him just pounding away, pushing him off, and that almost that element where Earthquake doesn't go off his feet. Like he might get in the corner, he might be on the ropes, but he just has that presence that, you know, has that monster image, almost Yokozuna like in the Royal Rumble of ninety three. Yep. And and he does do that in the in the Royal Rumble of nineteen ninety coming up in a couple weeks. So um I like him doing that. I like a guy like Buzz Sawyer coming up and, and really giving him a fight and going over. Um Cactus Jack again, another guy that uh, you know, puts up a fight. He's my MVP of this match. He ends up getting tossed. Um, in the end, the earthquake stands supreme, and the WWF goes up one to nothing. Um, a nice, a nice start. Absolutely, a nice start. You know, the star power. You can already see it. If those are the guys that are left to a battle royal, let's find out who is in this first team. Um, we have a match number two, our Survivor Series five on five. Um, needless to say, I'm going to be calling Lex Luger my team captain. And um, who do you got over there on your as your team captain? Well, the opposing team captain is going to be the man who only recently had lost the Intercontinental title, the ravishing one, Rick Rude. Awesome. Uh, you know, with this match, I think we're looking at, we even thought about doing some lower mid-card guys, but when it came down to it, the depth of both of the rosters it didn't allow for a lower mid-card because of how many great talents there were. Um, 
So I'm going to run down the NWA team here. Lex Luger, team captain, is going to be coming in with Tom Zink, the Z-Man, who was having a pretty decent run in 1989. He's going to be coming up and getting ready for a, a shot at the NWA television championship over the next year. Um, not a big name yet, but somebody that's that's got some steam. Kevin Sullivan, Mike Rotundo, and Dr. Def Steve Williams for one night only, reuniting the Varsity Club, one of my all-time favorite groups, and definitely one of the most underrated groups of all time, too. Yeah, and I think I think what we need to probably let everyone know is one of the things we've had to do here is we've had to suspend that element of the heel face within the companies. Like There'd still probably be internal issues, and you can picture Dr. Death and Rotundo and Sullivan probably not quite getting along 100%, but we're, we're coming from the point of view that everyone on the roster has put aside their personal differences to do battle with the other company. And um, you know, which which allows us to have these faces and heels all all mixed together. Absolutely, that suspension of the belief on, uh, you know, for this one night, Jim Crockett is back there and he's telling his guys, "I need you to be together for one night." Um, but with a pompous ass like Luger leading the team, you can already tell that there's going to be some issues and they're going to arise early on. So tell us about the WWF team. So Rick Roots recruited quite a strong team to, to, to go into battle with him. Uh, he's, he's bringing with him the uh, former NWA uh, champion, a man who would know a lot about guys like Sullivan, Rotundo, and Luger, and that's the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, he's also bringing with him Jake the Snake Roberts, the, the man who was on a bit of a roll at this point, the model, Rick Martell, and then rounding out the team is the man who was shooting for the stars at this point. That's Mr. Perfect. Absolutely. Um, and you said Jake Roberts, correct? That's correct. Yep. Okay. And and I think one of the, the other things that we look at in some of these matches are, who are some of going to be the, the variables outside of the ring? Obviously, with this team, you've got Rick Rude, who's got Bobby Heenan, and you've got Mr. Perfect, who's got the genius. And then you've got Jake Roberts, who's got Damian. Over on my side with the NWA, I've got Lex Luger and his ego, which is enough for uh, an entire crowd, but I don't have anybody backing my guys up. No, especially when Sullivan's actually in the ring. Sullivan might have been, you know, without, there might have been that element of maybe Sullivan could have been on the floor with Rotundo and whoever, but, you know, Sullivan's in the ring. So it does take out that that little bit of extra support. And, of course, we all know the, 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 the role the managers play. You can picture, the, you know, Bobby giving Rude and some, some, some extra advice. And, you know, I can even picture, you know, Bobby sort of giving Rude advice and Jake sort of, you know, walking over there and Bobby doing the runner because he doesn't want to have anything to do with the snake. So it would be a good little dynamic. Absolutely. And um, as we go through this contest, again, I like – I like that WWF team a lot. I like some of the elements that I have over on the NWA. I think Dr. Death Steve Williams' strength is going to be um, one of the key factors to him. But it's also going to be uh, the issue that he has with Sullivan and Rotundo. Um, it's going to end up being kind of his downfall um, and causing him to somehow get eliminated. After that, Mike Rotundo and Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan, who's pretty weak at this point um, in terms of his in-ring work and um, as viewed by other people, because he's not a full-time wrestler per chain, per se. <coughs> per se, he's going to be somebody that that goes down easily, um, even to somebody uh, like Jake the Snake, which would be great. I, or, or even I could just picture sort of really, if you want to sort of give a bit of a, a, a nod and a gesture back to the old school days, you know, old school from 1989 being early 80s, and that could be have Dusty take Kevin <laughs> Sullivan out. It's sort of a bit of a homage to their. Florida feud. Mm -hmm. um, and so we both talked about it. I think it comes down to Lex Luger, and we're giving Tom Zink the push to the moon. Um, we're going to have him Actually, be in this spot. Um, Actually, the one thing I've just noticed, I, I didn't even pick this up in, in our pre-thing, but one thing that we'd have to allude to, and I know Jesse would have to do, is the fact that Tom Zink and Rick Martell were the Can-Am connection. Exactly. And that's, well, that's why I like the way that we had it, because I actually like... Um, it coming down to two on five, and you know Jesse even putting that over Zink and Martell doing some good work because at this point I think Zink was a good worker. Um, Zink maybe gets a quick flash pinfall over Martell, who could lose because he he had that arrogance about him where he could pop his hair back up, he'd still be upset, and uh, he'd still get his heat back pretty quick. 
Um, and I think, yeah, and I think that even that element tying back to the to the thing, you could almost picture Martel the model yelling out to the crowd that he was always the he was always better than Zenk. And you know, you can picture Jesse in the commentary box talking about how Rick Martel carried Tom Zenk, and Tom Zenk could have cut it. And he ran to, to the NWA from the WWF and, you know, just sort of, and then have Zink catch that pin over Martel. And, you know, I could imagine Jim, you know, so um, Jesse just being completely shocked by that. Absolutely. And then from there, we, of course, have um, four on two. Uh, you alluded to it. Jake Roberts uh, maybe goes for Damien. Lex Luger says, screw this. I'm the United States champion. I don't need to be here. I'm bigger than the NWA. I'm bigger than the WWF. He leaves his partner behind. Tom Zink, of course, then falls to the numbers game. Um, and like we talked about, Mr. Perfect getting the big victory. Um, and, and the WWF at this point looks completely dominant with four men winning this first Survivor match. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things. I think, you know, I, I think, you know, with where Perfect was going and, and who Perfect had become by this point, anything other than a perfect victory for him would, would have been just completely ruined the whole the whole image of the of the uh, of the gimmick that he put forward, Rick Rude was fantastic. Those two together, I mean, I just I'd love to see early on in that match, so Rick Rude and Lex Luger doing a little bit of a who's got the better body, uh, yeah. sort of pay homage to the to the the pose off that Rude had done earlier in the year. But in the end, yeah, Lex, I can just see Lex going. I I don't want this. Is not worth my time. I'm too good for this. I'm the US champion. I'm going to just save my bacon. And even I could even picture Jesse applauding him for it, going, you know, it's not worth it. He doesn't want to get hurt. He doesn't want to risk being hurt in this situation. I, I can actually see Jesse. I mean, Lex Luger in 89 was a good worker. Yep. I mean, I've seen matches. I've got all the 89 stuff on DVD, and he is a good worker at that time, had been for a couple of years. I could see that Jesse would be all over Luger as a, as a fan and would, would applaud the move. Absolutely. I, he'd put it over because he, he values championships, Jesse does, and he knows that Luger, as the champion, is making the smart move because why would he risk getting hurt? Because regardless of what happens, Lex Luger is still going to be the U.S. champion tomorrow, and he's got to go defend that title, and he is the number one contender for the world title. Um, I, th- I like Dr. Death Steve Williams coming in early and showing his power off because a guy like Rick Rude and a guy like Mr. Perfect and a guy like Rick Martell will sell their ass off for him. Um, and that only yeah. makes Dusty bigger when he puts him down or whatnot. And, and to be fair, look, I mean, if you wanted to even this match out a little bit more, I could even see Luger getting a, a shock pin over Dusty. I mean, they've got history. They've Dusty's someone, I think by this point, he would be willing to, to do something like that. But in the end, rude and perfect, and probably Jake the Snake need to have that. And you know, need to have that. They were they were really they were stars in the WWF. They were at that top end thing. Um, Jake chasing Luger off with the Snake, well, I think, would be would be really good visual comedy. Luger not wanting to be near the Snake. You know, I think it'd be it'd make it make perfect sense. Absolutely. So at this point, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to say. But the NWA is down, and we are not out yet because we're coming back with the Tag Team Survivor Series match, the epitome of what the NWA was all about at this point, in my opinion, um, was the the main event and the Tag Team Division. It was so deep. Um, So let's break down this next contest, the Tag Team Survivor Series match. Dave, why don't you tell me who your captain is? Well... We we had a we I remember when we were putting this together we had a real this this team went through a, a series of different looks because as we started to put together the other matches we wanted to use some guys elsewhere and so the team we've come up with and and look we talk about the depth the NWA has the WWF still had a ton of depth in their tag team division it hadn't fallen apart yet it was a little while before it would but the captains of the team were the recent would be the recently crowned WWF tag team champions. Andre the Giant, and Haku, the Colossal Connection. And, of course, with them comes Bobby Heenan. And on the other side, I'm having my um, tag team, um, the the staple point of the NWA at this point, um, or they're going to be, obviously, in the, in the decade, but um, at this point, they're rising to the top. Um, it's the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott. Um, I think at this point, they're coming in huge. 
Um, they're feuding with Doom at this time. They're getting ready to go in and, and do some good things um, at Starcade 89. Um, I like them coming in, in in a big spot, being my team captains. Um, and, and it just shows that that work rate thing. To go against a Colossal Connection, I think that'd be a really good match because Haku versus the Steiners would be great. And the Steiners double teaming on Andre would be awesome to see as well. I'm just picturing I'm just picturing Haku against the Steiners in that early. I mean, they were they were really you know, they, they were they were still relatively fresh in, in late eighty nine. They got together earlier in the year and they were putting on some good stuff and I can just picture Haku and, and Rick and Scott just, just pounding the crap out of each other for you know, just because of how stiff they would fight. But you know, for for, for the WWF, uh, the Colossal Connection are gonna be supported by uh, the Hart Foundation, Brett and uh, Jim, the Anvil. Uh, they're going to be. They're going to also have in their team the fabulous Rougeau brothers with Jimmy Hart as their manager. The Powers of Pain are going to be in this match, as are the Rockers. Yep. And so Mr. a bit Fuji. of technique and a bit of power. And Mr. Fuji will be with the Powers of Pain here. Um, I think he, that there's something to be said for that. Oh, well, Fuji's Fuji's been in enough. You know, he's had a, a big impact on several Survivor Series matches. Absolutely. Um, over on the NWA side, I've got the Steiner Brothers as captains. Um, joining them are a team that was vastly underused, in my opinion, at this point in time. Uh, the Midnight Express, and they're going to have Jim Cornette uh, with them. They're going to have the fabulous Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, who at this point are coming around a uh, NWA World Tag Team title run. Um, I think they're, they're flying solo at this point, but they're also associated um, through numbers with uh, the Samoan SWAT team, Fatu and Samu, and they're going to have Paulie Dangerously with them. And then rounding out that team is the brand new kids on the block. They're coming off a big win, um, going into the Starcade, uh, and that is Doom. And at this point, they're not unmasked yet, but they still have what I believe is the most beautiful woman in the history of professional wrestling, and that is Woman. Well, you know, they were... They were so. I remember when Doom came on the scene. I remember the whole the mask gimmick and and stuff. I think the problem was though that, that by trying to hide who they were, um, Doom I, I felt were while they got that initial win over the Steiners, it, it seemed almost like a little bit of a fluke, and they re never really seemed to get a lot of respect. And I think when looking at the booking of this match, I think that would come into play sadly. And and I, I'm not sure Simmons and, and Butch Reed would last very long, only because you've got the issues with the Steiners and just the way they've been presented till now is just wasn't very flattering. But, I mean, the rest of the side, I mean, there's some real, you know, the Express would be fantastic. I mean, can you imagine the, I can just picture the Midnight Express and the Rockers just starting this out and putting on a tag team clinic for the first couple of minutes and, you know, before everyone else starts to get involved. Absolutely. And it, and that's what really this match breaks down to. Um, as we look at it, we looked at Doom and the Powers of Pain kind of being the weak links here. Um, those teams go out early. Um, the Samoan SWAT team have a little bit of momentum. Um, maybe they get a, a win over somebody like the Rougeos, which could cause uh, Heyman and um, uh, Jimmy Hart to have some, some scuffles outside of the ring. Um, then we have the fabulous Freebirds in there. Um, I like the Rockers getting a, a big win over the Freebirds. Um, and then we come down to our meat and potatoes of this contest, the Hart Foundation doing a lot of solid work against um, the Steiners and the Midnight Express. Um, we talked about this great spot with the Steiner Brothers and the Colossal Connection. Um, Dave, why don't you tell us about that spot? I'm just, I'm just picturing, uh, you know, the, the 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 Steiner brothers sort of manning up to Andre, Andre sort of calling them on, and and then they ended up putting Andre in the ropes. Andre loved that in the ropes gimmick, getting caught in the ropes. And while he's caught in the ropes, Haku ends up getting caught by the Steiners. You know, a little bit of some stiff shots going on, and then you know maybe a double Steiner line, uh, maybe maybe even um, Scotty hits the hits the um, Frankensteiner, and and they get that victory over the colossal connection while Andre's caught in the ropes. I mean, I know that in this stage, Andre had done that, that series of quick losses to the Warrior, and but as a tag team, they really put them over as a big thing. And Andre still had enough presence and enough of that element in the ring where uh, you know, an easy victory over him shouldn't be something to come by. And I think I could see Andre being caught in the ropes, unable to help Haku. Haku takes this pinfall loss and... Um, 
and 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 almost the heart foundation of the rock has been quite shocked by this by this turn of events. And then we get into the the real cusp of this match. At this point, we maybe have, I'd say, twelve minutes of solid eight man tag team action. Um, a good spot here coming with the Rockers and the Midnight Express. Um, obviously, they would just put on some great work. But um, we talked about uh, maybe uh, Jim Cornette getting involved. Uh, Shawn Michaels chasing him around with the tennis racket, leading to Marty Jannetty falling uh, to a super kick from Sweet Stan, leading to uh, a big victory from uh, Bobby Eaton coming down to two-on-one. And then from there, we see the Hart Foundation really shine against uh, two teams against all odds. And like you alluded to um, when we were talking as we set this up, that Bret Hart element of him fighting with everything he's got but in the end, it's just not enough, and he he falls to the Steiners in the Midnight Express. Yeah, I think I I, I can see the Hearts getting elements. That they'll get they'll get a bit of shine. They'll, they'll they'll certainly I think against the Express, I can picture some really good teamwork by the Hearts. But just the numbers game catches up with him in the end, and and Brett being caught, you know, he might be caught with a with a slam. It's just too much. Maybe the roll up off the rope, something where. Where Brett's just—he's just, he just ex- simply exhausted and can't kick out, and I almost picture it like he—he he, the, the pinfall goes, and Hart sits there almost like he does in in, in late nineteen ninety, and after he loses to DBRC at the Survivor Series, and that, that just that sort of that exhaustion, that fatigue, and that frustration that he realizes he's lost, and I could even see the Steiners offering to shake the hands of the Hart Foundation after the match, but. You know, at this point, I think I'm pretty certain that by by this point, the, the Midnight Express were back to the heel side of things. Yep. You could even sort of see Steiners off the handshake. It leads to a push and shove between the Steiners and the Express, and maybe the Steiners end up getting the Express out of the ring to just have that moment in the sun. Absolutely. Um, I like that. And at this point, the NWA's caught a little bit of momentum. Um, you know, shining in the tag team division. Um, and then... It all builds up to our next contest, match number four, the Survivor Series traditional match, five on five, and what I like to call my future team. This is a team of people that were um, destined for great things in 1990, Um, and I'm starting it out with, with my big guy, the franchise, and that is Sting. Dave, who do you got to go against my franchise, the number one guy, going to be my guy for the 90s, over on the WWF? Well, I don't think it's going to be any surprise to anyone listening to this that in late 89, the guy that the WWF was starting to look to was going to be Sting's former tag team partner, the Ultimate Warrior. And I think that would be an awesome image of the Ultimate Warrior and and Sting leading two teams against each other and basically being in the ring for the first time in years together as those opposing captains. I think you just have that that image. I mean, you could, you could just picture the, the sort of the, the future of the industry lining up face-to-face against each other in, in this one-off encounter. I think it would be fantastic. So the ultimate warrior would be the captain for, for the WWF on this side of things. All right. Now rounding out my futures team um, – First off, I've got Flying Brian Pillman, who's who's relatively new, but he's definitely somebody that's gotten a pretty good rub. He's had two really good matches with Lex Luger at this point. He is a solid contender. Him and Tom Zink have been really good in the tag team division. Um, also, the television champion at this point is the great Muda. I'm going to be using him. He's got Gary Hart in his corner. And then I've got a tag team that had money written all over him. Now, I know I'm going to get a little bit of flack because on this exact date, one of these guys couldn't wrestle, but for the sake of booking, I've got Danny Spivey and Big Sid Vicious. I've got the Skyscrapers with Teddy Long rounding out this team. Now, that, that's, that's one hot team. I mean, you've got, you've got, you've got the guy, you know, the future sort of franchise of, of WCW in Sting. You've got you know, Flying Brian, who we all know what he went on to go, but... I just think that the X factor in your team is the great Muda. I mean, he was just phenomenal. You know, he had only recently been in. He was already in the main events with Flair and Sting and Funk, and that had been fantastic. And the Skyscrapers, I remember seeing them on, on, on video. Down, down here in Australia, we didn't get NWA stuff live or even on TV. We had to wait for 
videos to come into the store back in the day, videos, and I remember looking at their matches and just going, these guys are awesome. And sadly, the tag team didn't last long due to injuries and, and other booking directions of the company, but that is just a fantastic team. So who do you got to, to join the Ultimate Warrior to face these guys? Well, I think from the WWF side of things, it wasn't so much looking to the future as it was looking at who was the next rung down from the top level. And so coming with the Ultimate Warrior, we've got Brutus the Barber Beefcake, who, who had been getting that push. He'd been in the, the SummerSlam main event. He, he was really linked quite heavily with, uh, with Hogan and was seen as... WF were trying to push him as, as, as someone who was going to be a star in the future, although the Warrior well and truly passed him by now. We're also going to have coming to the ring with them Rowdy Roddy Piper, recently returned. And I think he brings a different element to the team. He brings that, that old head, that wise understanding, but also there was always an unpredictability with Piper, that anything could happen. And then rounding out the teams to match it up with the skyscrapers, I've decided that the... The, uh, to make use of the Twin Towers. Akeem and the Big Boss Man, and of course coming to the ring with them would be would be slick. Um, and obviously we've got two two of my all-time favorite matches here um, that I wish would have happened. Uh, skyscrapers versus the Twin Towers. I thought that would have been great. Obviously the Skyscrapers were, were called the Skyscrapers because of the Twin Towers. Um, and then of course Warrior and Sting. Uh, you and I talked about this contest. Um, I believe that we do get to see that dream match of Akeem and the Boss Man against Spivey and Sid, um, leading to those two teams being uh, double DQ, double count out, like uh, the uh, the Demolition and the Road Warriors in 1990, um, then getting it down to the cusp of our, our six men. Um, and like you talked about, I'm going to use my X Factor, the Great Muda. He's going to get a big victory over Brutus Beefcake, leading it to a two-on-three contest. Roddy Piper is going to show why he is um, the veteran on this team, and he's going to get a win over, over uh, Brian Pillman. We're going to come down to the four biggest names in the contest at this point, Sting and Muda versus Warrior and Piper. I'm going to use Gary Hart outside of the ring uh, as a distraction. Um, and you and I talked how great it would be to see Gary Hart um, you know, holding on to Piper's leg right so he can't beat the 10 count to get into the ring. Um, leading to the Warrior having to go two-on-one against Sting and Muda. Yeah, I mean, I, I could just see Piper trying, you know, maybe even having hit Gary Hart, and as he's turned around, Hart hooks that leg, and, and, and Piper can't get back in. The referee's probably standing a few metres back, so he can't see that that's happening. He gets counted out. Piper's furious with um, with Gary Hart and chases him to the back. Yeah, you can just picture Gary Hart running for his life as Piper just stalks him with the like, just the way Roddy Piper could do it. He, he didn't have to do the crazy walk. He could do that stalking on you're a dead man and I'm going to get you sort of walk. And and Warrior is looking at a two on one situation, which at this time, WWE fans will be sitting there going, "But he's the Ultimate Warrior. What does it matter if it's two on one? He can do it." Absolutely. And then from here. Um, we talked about Warrior getting some that big pose down with Sting, the big shine, um, even letting him get some offense on Muda, um, and then of course, uh, you know, I like I like this finish of Sting and Warrior really doing some nice work, um, and it comes down to Warrior almost putting Sting in a spot where he's looking to finish, um, maybe getting those shoulder blocks in. Um, you know, I don't know if we do the press slam possibly, but it, what it comes down to is he comes over and he's looking to grab Muda and throw him in the ring, but Muda missed the Warrior, leading to Sting coming and rolling him up for the 1-2-3, a flash pinfall again. The NWA has just jumped up to tie the series two-on-two, um, and we've got, a, we've got a little bit of an issue here because Sting didn't know that Muda did that. Um, they could have some issue after that, but in reality, the big story is Sting and Muda move on um, they are, uh, you know, they get the NWA back into the, the scheme of things. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that could, could work really well here is, is Sting, yeah, you can sort of picture at the end of the match, Warrior's got the green, you know, the mist over the top of the face paint, maybe wildly flailing around after the match is over. Sting realises what's what's happened and, you know, maybe he, he hits Muda, chases him off, whatever, and then just at the end of the match, that, that, that tag from to the past, and also the nod to the past and the look to the future, Sting actually shaking hands with the Warrior, maybe even the hug in the center of the ring, sort of, look, you know, I know 
I know I pinned you. I know I just realised now it probably wasn't legit and it wasn't fair. Um, you and I go way back. We're, we're mates. We're both going places. And, you know, I'm sorry, all the best. But, you know, you know that's what competition's about. Yeah. And, and I even think, you know, they could have that face off of, uh, you know, referees holding them back because Sting, Sting doesn't want to win that way at this point. He's a clean cut baby face, as clean as they come. Uh, Warrior doesn't want to lose. Um, it could be a pretty good, pretty good little showdown there. Um, something to really build off of um, as we head into what is going to be our main event of the evening. Um, as we talked about, Jim Crockett and Vince McMahon agree to this contest. Vince McMahon uh, puts over the Survivor Series concept, but Jim Crockett says, well, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it the right way. 1989, it's going to be the War Games. Now, all I want to do right now, Dave, is tell me who is your captain for the WWF at this point. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt who would be captaining the WWF in a main event. That would be the champion, the 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 uh, the, the the man himself, Hulk Hogan. Uh, he was the number one guy in the company. He was the one that Vince had put all his you know all his money behind and and all his expectations on. And and you could just see Hogan would be the man who would be in charge. And rounding out the NWA, who else? The Nature Boy, Ric Flair. So, Dave, tell me about who rounds out your WWF team. Well, we've ended up with an interesting mix of talent because in a War Games match, you need guys that can go a while and can work, and you also need the power. And with the elements we've got, Hogan's ended up with, with several very, very good allies and several guys that he's got a long history with. So coming in with Hulk Hogan, uh, uh, the former champion, the man Hogan's been feuding with for most of the year, the macho man Randy Savage, another man who Hogan's feuded with on and off for the better part of the last two years in the million dollar man Ted DiBiase, and then rounding out the team, uh, the, 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 the tag team that were the number one team in the WWF at this time, they were basically were main event players by now, they were getting huge pops, they were really at the, the top, even though they just lost the belts, they were, they were the team and that's Axon Smash of Demolition. All right, and then over on the NWA, Ric Flair is going nowhere without the the returning enforcer, Double A Arn Anderson. He's going to be joined by his arch nemesis throughout the year, and that is the unpredictable Terry Funk. And then, because the War Games is really made for a guy like Terry Funk, and then of course, uh, two men who are no strangers to the War Games, the number one team in the NWA at this point, Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors. Here we get our our biggest fantasy matches of all time, Flair and Hogan in the peak of their days, and then, of course, the the Demolition Road Warrior feud coming to a head. Um, Dave, let's go through here. Let's talk about who's coming in first for each team, and, and let's build this contest and, and, and wrap up and see who is going to survive the summit. So for the NWA, coming in first is none other than Arn Anderson. And for the WWF, we've got at ringside Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage having a conversation. DiBiase flashes the money sign, and Savage goes in first. And I think there's no two better guys. These are the two uh, premier workers in terms of in-ring stuff. Obviously, Flair could be put in, but um, Savage and, and Arn really do some good stuff to get things going. Of course, the NWA somehow wins the coin toss, and in comes Ric Flair, um, for the NWA for a two-on-one on Savage who could still get some babyface uh, heat. And yet at the same time, he would be vicious enough to be able to, to take the fight back to them. You can picture heads being rammed into the cage, early blood. I, I could see all three of these men popping out the early blood. The buzzer goes and the WWF send in Smash. And here you've got some power coming in with a former NWA guy. Uh, Smash coming in with some big stuff. Uh, the NWA kind of kind of flutters a little bit, and they say, "Well, we got to send in some power too." So they bring in uh, part of the Road Warriors, and that is Animal. And I could really see at this point Animal sort of coming in on fire, really, really doing some some you know, some of these biggies, power slams, you know, running shoulder blocks. Uh, the buzzer goes, and DiBiase steps up, much to the surprise of everyone. The million-dollar man steps in. I think this would be the point. You want another workhorse in there for the WWF. They need a guy who can carry the match through to the end and not have this thing just turn into a punch kick for the rest of the night. Uh, from there, 
Who do you got coming in next for the uh, WWF? It was DiBiase, we said. DiBiase. All right. Now, from there, um, you know, we've got some big work coming in. And, and now I'm going to bring in my wild card. And maybe this guy brings something with him into the match. And that is, of course, the madman uh, from Texas. And that is Terry Funk. I see him bringing in the branding iron. I see him getting getting over. Him and DiBiase have an old feud. Him and Savage have done work in the past. Um at this point, the NWA really swings the momentum. Yeah, and when the buzzer goes, the next guy coming in for the WF is going to be Axe. And I could almost picture Axe has got that sort of element where with what Funk's brought in the ring, you could picture Axe grabbing a chair or something from ringside and wanting to sort of try to even the situation. I mean, he was he was a tough guy as well. I mean, he had, had a long history of working a different style. But, you know, coming in, the extra power... The WWF try, tries to even out Axe and Smash start pounding away on Animal and on Funk and really sort of try and just start to work that that sort of that that power into the match. So from there we've got our fifth and final team members for the NWA. I'm bringing in Hawk, a guy that has been that 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 last man in before. He comes in with a lot of power, um, a lot of clotheslines, some press moves. Um, he's really shifted the momentum for the NWA. However, coming in last. For the WWF is, of course, Hulk Hogan. The captain himself, he's going to come in. And you can just picture that you can't. You can picture Flair and Anderson and Funk have probably all got finishing holds on on guys like Savage and Smash and Axe and the LO, you know, the Road Warriors have already beaten up Ted DiBiase in the corner and all, you know, it looks like it's all gone and Hogan just comes in as Hogan does, that sort of, that on fire, that, you know, you know heavy breathing and pointing and shaking and all sorts of stuff and Hogan just comes in and starts cleaning house. The bloody flare walks up to Hogan and says, look at me, big man, I'm the real world champion, uh, throws some big chops at him. Uh, you know, Hogan no-sells it. Um, and like you and I talk about here, um, the finish of the match, it all comes down to this. Um, you said Ted DiBiase is really the biggest submission guy over there, so you'd use him in that way, um, letting him work over a guy that could lose at this point, and that was, of course, Terry Funk. Yeah, I'm picturing popping Funk in the Million Dollar Dream for, for a few minutes, you know, maybe wearing him to the point that he's nearly out cold, and then... You know, then maybe you know Hawk or Animal, even Arn Anderson, maybe coming over and breaking up that that attack. But Funk is just he's out of it at this point. You know, the submission hasn't been earned, and then you just you can picture the ego of Hogan backstage going, "If we're doing this match, I've got to win it." And Hogan sees Funk down and just comes in. You can see the boot, you can see the leg drop. He looks to the crowd, he cups the ear, he gets the cheers. He turns around and puts Terry Funk in something like a, 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 a Boston Crab or a figure four or a very basic submission hold. Maybe not the figure four because Flair was in the match, but that Boston Crab or, or, or something like that that you know is just that basic, simple submission hold. But Funk, being so out of it, wouldn't really be able to fight. And, and with that, Terry Funk uh, loses the match for the NWA. It causes him to go into that little early retirement phase that he did go into. Um, the cage lifts up. Flair is a bloody mess, but he's got his world title belt. Hogan lays his belt down and, and welcomes Flair to come back in the ring. Um, at this point, maybe Hogan gets a little shine on Ric Flair. You never know what the egos would do at this point. Um, but then, uh, you know, the, the WWF reigns supreme. They win 3-2 to two, um, coming out of this event. I know that my tag team division looks really strong, and I know that my franchise guy, Sting, um, has really set set a mark, and along with the great Muda. Yeah, look, I, and and this was the tough thing. I mean, the, the NWA have got a ton of talent. I think there'd be a lot of a lot of people who go, well, why wouldn't the NWA? Win? I mean, Flair was a better worker than Hogan and Anderson, and the, the the Road Warriors are better workers than Demolition. You know, depending on how you look at you know tag team work and all that. But I just I can't picture Hogan and McMahon going into an event like this without coming out as the overall winners. You just, that ego thing, that's who they are. It's a sad state of affairs that, you know, that, that works that way, but the WWF just sneaked that, that last win away, but the NWA coming out looking good. Their, their US champ walked away. He didn't, he didn't lose. Their top tag teams have looked fantastic. Their future of the company, Sting, has looked great. The Muda was just would have looked fantastic. And even though he ended up leaving early in 90, 
he'd been built to this point. He looked like he was ready to ascend, and it was all set up that the guy, right guys that needed to be protected have been protected on both sides of the equation. Um, guys have been established for, for perhaps the future direction, and um, and but in the end, you can just see Hogan standing there posing in the ring to to the to the cheers of the crowd. And uh, that wraps up our night, the summit. The Battle of the Decades, the NWA versus the WWF, live from the Keel Auditorium. Harley Race, of course, uh, gives Vince McMahon or Hulk Hogan the big trophy. We get a little celebrating um, with that. Uh, that kind of wraps up our night here. Uh, Dave, any final comments on this project? Oh, look, it's been, it's been great fun trying to just have a think about how you would mix the teams. I mean, the big thing was... Yeah, that whole who was feuding with who within the company and having to set that aside to, to come up with some teams that would really work well against each other. It was a real fun little task that we did. And, you know, maybe one day down the track we'll have to do the, the actual, you know, the battle, the, 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 the matches again, you know, the NWA, WWF sort of overall battle rather than just in, in survivor format in another form. Absolutely. And I think that we can, we can look at another year, um, even even in 90, uh, early 96 or 94, one of those times when, when things really shifted. And, of course, the big one would be uh, 1998, um, looking at some of those times in which um, it, it would have been a great one-on-one style uh, invasion uh, type event with uh, both, both you know, promotions going head-to-head and seeing who would come out on top. Uh, but tonight, I fear it is the WWF's night. Um, I think overall it's a great card. Um, definitely go back and relook at it. Um, if anybody would like the, the write-ups of the matches, I'll be sure to post those. Uh, we do have a Facebook page now, so go and check out the place or, uh, our uh, place right there. It's the Low Blow Booking Podcast on Facebook. Um, it's a public forum, so please come and join. We'll be putting feedback there. We'll be putting previews there, and, of course, all the shows will be posted there as well. Um, Dave, that wraps up our evening tonight. I'm going to be looking forward to talking with you about the 1988 Royal Rumble coming up here in a couple weeks as we start the trifecta and uh, rebook the 1988 WWF. I'm really excited about that. I think you know we, we've, we've, we've had a look at that card. I think it's very exciting. Uh, looking at maybe a little bit of a change up, and yet you know still a lot of what was going on still heading in that direction. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Um, I want to thank you all for listening. Please give us a share, give us a retweet, put us out there for the world to hear. Check us out on iTunes and Podbean. If you have any questions, let us know if you want to see an event, a storyline, a wrestler, any kind of fantasy, um, any kind of fantasy booking scenario. Let us know about it. Thank you very much for joining me, Dave. It's been real. It's been fun. It has been real fun. And ladies and gentlemen, have a great night. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.